Welcome to Season 3 of Busting Addiction and Its Myths, sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer a modern approach to recovery, breaking with tradition by introducing new technologies that help disrupt the cycle of addiction. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com and click on the video, or contact us at info at safehouserehab.com and we'll tell you about our $1,000 airfare allowance and referral rewards program. My name is Bruno J, and here's why I created this podcast. Our research has shown that despite the opioid epidemic and the worldwide panic over the ravages of addiction, we didn't see that treatment centers were doing anything different to break the cycle more effectively and improve the odds of long-term success. So we have set out to do things differently and to let all those who love an addict or alcoholic know more about the advances in treatment that we represent. Here's what we're doing differently. We have designed our diagnostics and detox to isolate and treat opioid and multi-addiction, example, alcohol plus opioids plus speed, more effectively, given that these are the new challenges of addiction in the 21st century. We integrate leading-edge technology into the recovering process, thereby disrupting the disorder, speeding the recovery of brain health. Clients come to treatment with damaged brains. This is a given. We pay attention to the importance of dopamine and other ingredients vital to brain health recovery. Traditional rehabs don't provide anywhere near the tools and close guidance that clients truly need to help keep them clean and sober for life. We do it right. First, we advise our clients to go into our sober living facility to serve as a transition to normal life, and we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to providing a structure for long-term recovery. So if you love an addict or alcoholic, and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, is stealing your money, stealing your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. If you're feeling rage and shame and, and he or she is living rent-free in your head 24-7, this podcast is for you. I hope to have you gain a better understanding of the nature of addictive disorder and the invisible effect it has on your psyche. It's my fervent hope you also gain a little more compassion for your loved one and for yourself in spite of this cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. To paraphrase an author in this space, we struggle because we love. Hey, Bruno J here, and a warm welcome to episode three of season three, part two. So picking up where we left off momentarily, you saw the light, if you will. You were in this place for seven months, and then after seven months, what, what transpired? Uh, moved to the second stage, which, which was called re-entry back then. Okay. Uh, re-entry, which is re-entry into the community mm-hmm. in a house with about 10, 10 to a dozen other people. We used to be checked on twice a week. We all had to have a purpose. Mine was going to polytechnic, college, call it mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. I got myself a, a diploma in social and community care. Great. That's pretty good. The only problem was, was that they, back then it was um, what they called a concept program. And the concept of this particular program, if alcohol was not your primary substance, they would allow you a what they called a drinking diary after you've been there two months. So a drinking diary would consist of starting you off on six units, give a count for those six units when you come to the meeting on a Monday night or a Wednesday night, and then you would progress to 12 units. Not knowing anything about addiction, 
What's what's a unit? A unit. Yeah. It's a unit. Is it's the way they measure alcohol. Okay. So one ounce is a unit, maybe. No, it's done via the the percentage of alcohol in in what you're drinking. Okay. If, if if you get tested by the police, you if, over a certain number of units, then you are illegal in okay. driving. Okay. So so yeah so okay. Uh, not knowing I was an addict, I said yeah, put my hand up for that. I'll have six units and I'll have twelve units, you know. And uh, so they I'll, raised it. Yeah, oh yeah. You, if you if you manage the thing was we we colluded. There was ten to twelve of us. So the, what the truth was that come a Wednesday night when we got our money, which was benefits or social got money from the government, some currency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'd all go down the pub, get drunk, and uh, and then come the next meeting, we'd tell stories about how we only drank six units. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't understand that one was too many and a thousand never no, enough then. No, no, I, no, I had yeah. no idea. And I didn't know that you could transfer addiction from one substance yeah. to another. This was all... Right. It's all new to you. Or, well, it wasn't even new to me at that point. Yeah. So anyway, so the bottom line was I came out with a qualification, but I was still intoxicated. Mm-hmm. I was still under the influence. I was still in trouble, really. Mm-hmm. And, and it became apparent very quickly... I got employed very quickly because I was a person of colour. I was a person who recovered from crack cocaine. So many of the drug agencies were only too willing to give me a job. So I got a job. Oh, sure. So, and I'd learnt a lot going through treatment. So I'd learnt, as you do in, in, in therapeutic communities, to spot the, the shortcomings in your fellow client or f- fellow peers yeah so and that, that that's what the job was it's people come in with their problems i go oh yeah this is did, 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 did. but the only problem was i hadn't solved my own problem yeah and uh and luckily i i got lucky and got myself a job in jamaica which kind of mm. saved me for a while okay uh, i was out there six i think between six and nine months didn't use crack didn't use anything i maybe had a bit of alcohol every now and again but oh everything was manageable Okay. And, and what motivated you to like stop doing that? Fear. Okay. Fear. Fear of what? Fear of being, fear of getting out of control. Okay. Fear of going to places in Jamaica that I didn't know. Okay. Fear of being detected because uh, people within the rehab would know people. It's a very small island yeah. and people know. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. People know each other. All right. Especially so you didn't the, want to be found out. I didn't want to be found out. Okay. So, uh, so that's what kept me. So okay. I came, came back to England, beginning of 92. Everything fell apart. I Again, fell apart. Yeah. yeah, everything fell apart. I went from, I think I went from Manchester to Sheffield, from Sheffield to Birmingham, from Birmingham to London. And by the time I got to London, I made my first NA meeting, 12-step meeting, June the 30th, 1992. Okay. And I was holding on for dear life then. Okay. I was holding on for dear life. I'd left a lot of wreckage behind me between February and June in each of those cities. You know, I'd stole, I'd lied, I'd cheated. I'd even sliced, cut my wrists out of desperation. Okay. Uh, it was a real, real bad time for me at that time. Okay. Found it in NA in 92, and that was the beginning for me of recovery, really. Where were you? Tell me about, go back to your timeline. Where do your children come into this picture? 
Was this after you had your kids or before? No, all this is in the presence of my children. Okay. I think me and the partner split up in 86. Oh yeah, that's right, got the years right. Yeah, Yeah. we split up in 86, so I had intermittent contact with them. And because they were involved in in my business as well. Oh, sure. uh, The mother was, and the children used to go out and do a little bit of work with. So they were around. So 92 is the beginning. Yeah, 92 is the beginning of when I started to turn things around. Okay. Yeah. What was, tell me, tell me what that took. Tell me what, what. Again, it took a, a, a rehab. Okay. A rehab, 13 weeks in a, another draconian 12-step uh, rehab. Mm-hmm. Well, not another, it was a draconian, but not a, another 12-step, probably my first introduction to. But prior to that, I'd had six months in the rooms of N.A., and they picked up bits and pieces. Okay. And NA is Narcotics Anonymous. Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Picked up some bits and pieces. So by the time I got to the rehab, I was Mr. Know-it-all. Plus with my my qualification in oh, social, social and community care. Yeah. Okay. You know, I was, I was a know-it-all. Okay. You know? And uh, I think I was five weeks in and they said, well, you know, either you get on or you get out. What do they mean by get on or get out? Well, I was telling other people what... <laughs> I was again telling other people what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Okay. Plus, I was undermining process in the rehab. Okay. So when, they, when they say get on, they mean get, get on the program get it, or get, get out the door. Yeah. yeah. Get yeah. with it or get get on. with it or get out. And uh, and I was, uh, I was petrified. And I, so, what did what did you end up doing? You ended up getting with it. I got with it, man. Yeah, sure. I got with it. <laughs> yeah. No more screwing around. This is it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But again, it was, you know, in hindsight, I see that I always learnt to play, I suppose the long game, but always mm-hmm. learnt the art of compliance. Mm-hmm. Always learn Go through the motions. Yeah, go through the motions, do what's necessary. And uh, my story is one of uh, five years in recovery and then relapsing. Okay. You know, which was very traumatic. seven or something like that. Uh, 80, uh, 98, 98, okay. 98, yeah, yeah. 98. Okay. Very traumatic for myself and especially for my children. How long were you out? How long were you, quote, out there? Uh, if I, it took me a year to get the clean time I have today. Okay. I didn't use anywhere near a year. I did another rehab. Mm-hmm. I did two rehabs in that space of time. If I used for three months of that one year, I'm probably being generous okay but at the same time every time i use it was soul destroying yeah yeah every time again knowing better but not being able to do better so observe this what we talk about as a progressive disease by that i mean let's say that you know uh, you relapse and it's worse than it ever was and each time you go back out it's worse than it ever was is that was that true for you for me in the sense of psychologically paranoia Psychosis, okay. Mental health, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Financially, materially, no, okay. But in, in those, what was going on inside was it was going inside, yeah. Okay. I switch gears a little bit with you, and that is this notion that you know an alcoholic or addict has to bottom out before you know they're ready for help, and that the parent or the loved one can't do anything about it what what is the influence what influence do you suppose a parent or a loved one could have on an alcoholic or addict in their family to try to help them what 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 has to take place or what well my experience 
of that is that I have three of the six of my children are addicted. Okay. So my experience of that is that I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So just if you if if um, just set it up a little differently. If if a parent comes to you as a counselor and they go, you know, Bobby is just I'm really worried about him. He's he's living at home, but you know his grades have gone to hell. I think he's smoking marijuana, and then then I caught him the other day, and he was, you know, on his crack pipe, and and uh, what what do you what do you what does one say to a not to the addict himself because he's probably not listening, maybe not ready. What do you say to a parent? What do you what do you counsel them to do? Well, I'd suggest is that they need to get some help from themselves first right. and foremost. Okay, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'd suggest is that they need to. Make some boundaries, put some boundaries in place, uh, communicate those boundaries to okay. Johnny or whatever her name may be. Right. Stick to them, right. which we call tough love. Right. And if he or she doesn't adhere, then separation has to take place. Okay. The longer you adhere right. to yeah. their behavior, things will just become. Have you ever been painful. involved in an intervention? Yes. So, so talk about those. Talk about what works, what doesn't work. I mean, I, I, my two boys, my, oof, my two boys, they, they both different. The older one is functioning, was functioning, or is functioning, or functioning. So he was kind of easier to work with. How old was on, he on, when you when you? On some level, he was much older when I discovered him because he because of his functioning behaviour and because obviously he didn't live at home. It, that only came about when his wife complained to his mother about his domestic violence. Okay. That we became apparent. Became, okay. We became aware of his alcoholism. Did they have children too? Yes. Okay. No, the lady in question doesn't. He doesn't have. He has children with. Okay. The first but he's mother. a father. He's a father. The younger one, we knew he was using from the get-go. We supported him even to the extent of going out and buying him heroin, locking him in, keeping him, keeping him, moving away to another place. Got it. Paying for him to go into treatments. Okay. He's done treatment twice. Did you all uh, see what you were doing at uh, that point? No, not no. really. No, okay. no, no. We, you know, we kind of, even me as an addict fell for oh, yeah, sure. the whole... Yeah. He's gonna get. He's gonna get right. well. He just needs to encourage. Were you clean and support. sober when this was happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And funny because he came to stay with me the first time he went into treatment. He came to stay with me because the mother couldn't put up with him. And I think he had like a four, five, six weeks before his funding kicked in. So his mother says he's got to come and stay with me. So he came to stay with me. He lasted four weeks, and a week before he went to treatment, I had to send him back to his mother because of his behaviour. So you said you did do an intervention with him, yes? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and what was that? What was that? Did you have a Sent him back to his mother. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Sent Got him it. back to his mother. Okay. And he found, he, he found his way back. He found his way into treatment. Okay. And he was in treatment. All right. And he, the whole, what's the name? I, I went to his uh, family. Okay. Nobody else would go. I went to his family counseling. For sure. Whatever. Sure. Listened to his shit. Listened right. to all his what's the name, worked out a plan with the counsellor. 
yeah. <laughs> and use it again. Okay. You know, and really from that point, we've never had the same oh, relationship. Okay. Did uh, he end up recovering or? No, no, no. no. He no. came back to that treatment facility uh, maybe three or four years later. Wow. And uh, did the same thing again. Oh, and then went went again. And now he's, he's just this year, not just last year, uh, both the boys, both of them were incarcerated for an attempted murder. One got 27 years, oh my God. the other one got 36 years. Oh my God. So oh my God. that is so the, that's, that's where the their addiction has taken that's them. That's where their addiction yeah. has taken them. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about powerlessness and what, what a parent or a loved one can actually do. And as a grateful member of Alan on myself, I know that on the walls it says, it often says, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a rather absolute statement, isn't it? And what, wh- what do you think that reflects? I mean, what, what is that sentiment? What's the sentiment behind that idea? What is it intended to have people understand? Well, they're, they're not responsible, but the, the, the fact is for most parents, I know for me and having listened to many parents, the, the first line there is the guilt, the believing that you caused it. Okay. Yeah. You know? And right. for me, it was, it was difficult because it's obviously my life was, there were parts of my life which were chaotic. There were parts of my life where I was uh, not emotionally available. Okay. Could have done better, didn't do better. Okay. Could have been a better father, but wasn't a better father. Sure. But came back to address all of that stuff by making amends and being available okay. consistently over a consistent okay. length of time. But... The damage was done. The damage was done. Damage right. was done. Yeah, but you were doing this for yourself, mm. right? And that was part of your recovery. Yeah. What about the "you can't control it" part? What does that What does that say? And, and, and relative to somebody else's addiction? No, you cannot control somebody else's addiction. There's no, there's no way. If the individual can't control the addiction. How can you? How can you? What would make you think you right. could control right. that individual's addiction? What does control look like? I mean, what is what are some of the manifestations of the attempt to control? What are? Well, I've, I, I, mean, I did a I did a television, a morning early morning TV show as a counsellor, uh, and the father had two two sons that, had, that were addicts, and he'd locked them up in a barn. Okay. He chained them to the to, in the barn. Well, there's control. Fed, for fed you. them, fed them, fed them. And of course, both of them escaped. Of course, yeah. So that's that's control. That's control. Yeah, yeah. As in, no, <laughs> not. Um, and then you can't cure it. What about what does that what does that tell you? Because this is this is on the wall of most Alabama. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we come to understand that, that that it's a disease. Right. It's a disease that can be arrested, but not but cured. Can't be cured. Okay. It's, it's something. And, and yeah. part of that too. I don't mean to interrupt, but but it's like it's speaking to me. I'm new, okay, let's say I'm new to Al-Anon, everything is new, I don't realize, I realize that I'm not here to, ultimately I realize I'm not here to help the alcoholic mm. or addict get sober or any of that, I'm here for me, and then you present me with this, you know, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, you can't cure it kind mm. of thing, just as a reminder that you're completely powerless. powerless. And so when you surrender to that, then you have to take the next step and obviously find another power. Mm. I want to get to another topic, which is the uh, illusion or the or the myth that addicts or alcoholics are weak-willed or they have a moral failing, they're morally degraded. 
or it's just a question of saying no? Can you address that sort of those societal myths? No, none of those are things are true. I mean, I've lived my life, and uh, I mean, I decided to give up crime, and I just gave up crime. You know, I've, I've decided to do this, and I've done it. And most things in my life, I've decided to do right and fulfilled. You know, at, with, with willpower, I, I have strong will. You know. I have a, a, a also I have a belief outside of myself that's a power greater than me. Right. That, that takes care of me and looks after right. everything. You know, so it's easy. It's, it's it's an easy it's an easy thing to put those labels on people. You know, right. It's easy because it kind of makes it easier for sure everybody to deal right. with it as if they had a choice, right? Yeah, I mean that's a classic one, isn't it? Well, he had a choice. Why doesn't he just stop? Yeah. How many times is he going to do it? Right. Why don't you just give it up? Don't understand yeah. the concept yeah. of a disease, did, right? Yeah. A compulsive yeah. Yeah. disease. Just to, to sort of close this up is, what do you think are the major factors in an alcoholic or addict achieving long-term sobriety? What 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 are the major pillars to that to that uh, to that uh, uh, goal or to that state? And by long term, I'm talking about like you, you know, years and years and living a life and having, making good decisions and, you know, being in a good zone most mm. of the time. And all. I think what first, you, the first thing for me, having done the, the concept house before, and I remember getting to this concept house and uh, introducing me to the community. Right. And they says, these people will be your friends for the rest of your life. Right. And I looked around the room with my street head, looked at their trainers, looked at their jackets. <laughs> I just said, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But what I've come to find years later, that the main thing that I need is support. I need support. I need okay. support. I need support. Okay. And with support becomes all the other good stuff that I've okay. found. All right. You know, like... Discipline, spirituality. Okay, discipline, uh, yeah. spirituality. How about, I, I think I think discipline and this other word are connected, but how about uh, commitment? How about an all-or-nothing game, as I, as I yeah. call it? Well, it's very difficult to be disciplined if you don't have commitment. I think my first sponsor used to say to me, commitment, consistency, and continuity, the three okay. C's. Okay. You get the three C's and you'll be sorted. You'll be fine. Yeah. And um, you mentioned spirituality uh, and belief in a power greater than ourselves. Everybody has a different concept of that. What is your concept? My concept? Yes. Ooh, that's deep. All right. That's Mate, deep. Don't, don't go too far. <laughs> I don't want to go over that. But in terms of you know, how you define your relationship. My relationship with the power greater than myself, that I can't do. That by allowing myself to accept that I am not, God, that I am not the be all end all. Okay. It, it bless. It allows me to have humility. Okay. It allows me to have compassion. Right. It allows me to see myself in others. Okay. And believe that I'm no different from oh, anybody okay. else. Everybody has weaknesses. Right. Everybody has shortcomings. Sure. Yeah. And that um, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but uh, living by a set of I call it the living by a set of principles as opposed to my instincts. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, but again, for me, I mean, I, I, 12 Steps and 12 Steps has helped support me. But as late, I, I, I like uh, Four Commitments. I love the Four Commitments. Okay, tell me, tell us about the Four Commitments. The Four Commitments are be impeccable with your word. Okay. 
Don't take anything personally. Okay. Don't make assumptions. Okay. And always do your best. There you go. Well, that's a hell of a way to close this thing. Robert. <laughs> he's a man. He's a fine British gentleman. If you can do that, you're, you're a better man well, than me. Well, I'll tell you, every day, too. Every day. <laughs> every day. Don't take anything personal. All right, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> anything else you want to leave uh, the audience today before we, we close closed a lot? And I want to tell you, we always learn a lot from you, and that today I learned a lot that I didn't even know. And you're a great inspiration. Thank to you. Us here at, Thank you very much. House. Long live Safe House. There you go. Thank you for tuning in today. It's my fervent hope we've given you new insight and new hope that will lighten your burden. For our hearts go out to all who suffer the effects of addictive disorder. Please give us your feedback at info at safehouserehab.com. By all means, ask us any question you like, and we'll answer on air, if you will. And if you want to leave us your first name and city, we'll recognize you, too, of course. This podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, where we take a modern approach to recovery, something all families of those who suffer deserve. Tune in next week for more.